Hey, everybody, and welcome to season two of the All About Everest podcast. And I'm your host, Pauline Reynolds Nuttall. On this podcast, you can get anything and everything about Mount Everest, including interviews, book recommendations, tips, updates, and a whole lot more. So welcome to the spring 2023 Everest climbing season. And here we go. Hello, all you wonderful listeners. I get asked two questions a lot of the time. The first question I get asked is, how do I find the time to get outside so much when I am so busy? And the second question I get asked a lot is, how can people get outside more? I started podcasting, writing, and blogging because I was super passionate about helping people get outside and enjoy the great outdoors, regardless of where they were at physically, where they lived, their financial means, their health. And so because I've been getting asked those questions a lot more lately, I decided to start the free five-day get outside more challenge. It'll be a rolling challenge. It starts the second Monday of each month. Currently open to enrollment. You can find the link in the episode description. I hope to see you guys there again. It's absolutely free. And did I mention that there's going to be homework prizes? Come spend five days with me and help improve your life. It's as simple as getting outside at least 15 minutes a day. And guess what? There's absolutely no pitch. So go ahead, click the link. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the All About Everest podcast. Today's episode is reader's questions. I get emails and messages from a lot of you guys that listen, and I figured that today would just be a great episode to kind of address those. I didn't want to do a long episode, and I explained this in the previous one that the reason why I'm two weeks behind on episodes is that I struggle with seasonal affective disorder, also known as SAD or SAD. It is a legitimate disorder and it's a seasonal depression caused by the changing of seasons or lack of sunshine. I think that's the best way to explain it. And every year, it gets a little worse than the year before. And this year it kind of snuck up on me. Um, I have a whole routine that I do every year, you know, the beginning of September and this year it just, it hit me in 24 hours. It was like night and day, summer, winter, if you will. So that's why this episode and the episode before it were late. And I apologize again. If you are someone who struggles with SAD or SAD, please, please, please seek help. There are ways to address it and make your life better. Medical professionals, they know of this disorder and mine have been absolutely helpful in helping me address it. I address it with getting outside more, uh, usually around noon. I change up my vitamins and my minerals and I utilize light boxes. 
So just two things that I wanted to address really quick. The first one is, I mentioned this last year very briefly. I think it was in June or July, but Eberhard Jolgalski, and if I'm butchering his name, I apologize ahead of time. He published research data that he and his team have been compiling for over 20 years. And what they've done is they've taken any GPS data that they had, any photographic records that they have, and they argue that many mountaineers didn't really reach the summit of a mountain, that maybe they reached the four summit or the false summit, which is a point that most people think is the true summit, and they didn't reach the true, actual, recognized, highest part on this mountain. A lot of people have been riled up about this because they felt it was a bit of a witch hunt, right? That the whole reason why this team of people got together and compiled all of this research was to basically take away these people's achievements. And this week, the person who was targeted on what some people are calling Eberhardt's hit list is Reinhold Messner. And two of his Guinness Book of World Record records have been taken away from him. The first being him being the very first person to summit all 14 of the 8,000ers. What Eberhard Jergalski says is that Messner did not reach the summit of Annapurna. And he thinks that he did, but he didn't. And so because Eberhard Jorgowski is working with Guinness record, Guinness Book of World Records, they took away his accomplishments. They're like, nope, sorry, Reinhold Messner, you didn't really do it. Based on Eberhard Jorgowski's research and studies. So instead, this record actually belongs to the American Ed Viesters. And Ed Viesters has been pretty vocal about it on his uh, personal Facebook page, which has been shared. And he ultimately said, no, this achievement, it goes to Reinhold Messner. He was the first person to climb all of the 14 8,000ers. He was the very first one and you know, does it matter if he did or did not reach the summit? Because in my opinion, he did. And this is just me summarizing it. Um, he did it physically, psychologically. He did it without oxygen and he deserves these records. You shouldn't take them away. I don't want the record, essentially. Um, I've reached out to Ed. I would love to have him on the podcast because I want to talk about this research. I think that I want to know why he decided to do this uh, research and these studies and how he thinks it will continue to affect mountaineering. Because of this research, Nimsde also lost one of his records. And so... Again, a lot of people are pissed off because 
they think that if these people achieved it, regardless if, if, if it's the summit or not, and how do we know, right? How do you truly know? 30 years ago, 40 years ago, we didn't have the equipment to determine if it was the true summit or not. Why, why try to minimize or even take away their achievements? It's robbing them of their accomplishments and all of their hard work that they did to get to where they're at. The second thing that I wanted to address was the rumor that Kristen Harisha is retiring. And it's been publicized everywhere, online, Norwegian newspapers, Explorers Web. And Kristen posted on her personal Instagram page last week that, no, she is not retiring. Yes, she has climbed a lot of mountains and she is taking some downtime but she's not retiring. She will continue to climb. So I thought that that was a little funny because sometimes we don't always get the correct information from the media. So anytime you hear something new, even me, please question it. I just thought it was funny how everyone had published that she was retiring and she had to publicly say, no, no, that's not the case. I, I'm still here and I still intend to climb. Two quick housekeeping things before I get to the rest of the episode. I need to apologize because two episodes ago when I was talking about 10 amazing facts about Mount Everest, I used the S word. Now, I work really hard not to swear or use any type of profanity. I like to keep these episodes clean. And I used the S word at the very end of that episode. I used it not once, not twice. It might have been three or four times. And one of you listeners brought it to my attention that I probably need to put a disclaimer at the beginning of that episode. I apologize. I was trying to get my point across. I was talking about the very real problem of human excrement on Mount Everest and how it is so hard to get rid of. The poll or the question that I used in that episode on Spotify was, do you know what a wag bag is? Right? And nobody, I think one person answered, yes, I know what a wag bag is. A wag bag is a special bag, if you will, for human excrement. Usually it comes in a kit. It's got um, gel at the bottom of the bag and you use it when you um, take care of your business outside or on the mountain and then you pack it out. One of the seven leave no trace principles, pack it in, pack it out. Wag bags, you can find them online. They're pretty cheap. They're usually less than $2 per bag, and they will often come with a little bit of hand sanitizer and some toilet paper. So I did add a disclaimer to the beginning of that episode, and again, I apologize. The second thing that I wanted to bring up was I'm not sure yet what next week's episode is going to be. I would really like to talk about Reinhold Messner. But it's possible that I'm recording an interview with some EBC trekkers. Everybody has an Everest story. We already know that. It doesn't mean that your Everest story, because you didn't summit Mount Everest, 
or because you summited Mount Everest is better than anyone else's. Um, you know, we have Yost who's still working on summiting Mount Everest during winter and we're following him. And I know a lot of people have done EBC, but I'd like to share that story because with my listeners, 50% of you come from the mountaineering community and 50% of you, you're not mountaineers. You're just like me. And so that's what next week's episode is going to be an interview with EBC trekkers, or it's going to be about Reinhold Messner. All right. So for the rest of the episode today is about reader questions. These are questions that have been sent to me either through messenger or through email. I always love to hear from my listeners. And so keep sending in those questions. Uh, hit me up on messenger, hit me up on email. I always include my social handles in the podcast description along with my email. So the first question is, and I get this one a lot, even from people that I interview. So are you a mountaineer? No, I'm not. I probably would have gotten into climbing and mountaineering if I had never moved from Montana. At the age of 12, I moved to Israel and I became a very less outdoorsy person. Uh, now that I've moved back to the States, I'm more passionate about the outdoors, but I'm too old, I think, to get into mountaineering at this stage or especially climbing. And I haven't always been in the best of shape to even try some of those things, even though I live right smack dab in the Rocky Mountains, in the, bit of, in the beautiful Bitterroot Valley. I've never really gotten into climbing. A lot of it had to do with my health. I was a smoker and it kept me from trying a lot of things. Yes, I hiked and I backpacked, but mountaineering and climbing take a very different physical approach than hiking or backpacking. So no, I am not a mountaineer. Question number two, if you're not a mountaineer, why did you start the Everest podcast? That's a really good question. So I decided to start a podcast back in December of 2021. I was going through a bunch of things. My mother-in-law had just recently passed away and I was looking for a way to cope with all of it. It was really affecting my family. And I decided to start a podcast and I wasn't sure what my topic was going to be. And I, I blog online at mamabearoutdoors.com. And I was looking through some of the stuff that I had written about in the past and things that I was passionate about. I've been following the climbing seasons on Mount Everest since the mid nineties, since I moved to Israel. And I think the very first season that I kind of followed was when Bear Grylls uh, summited Mount Everest. And it was because the only channel that we had that was in English really was the BBC and they covered it. And I was so intrigued and interested by it. I don't know if I had been living in the U.S., if I would have developed that passion for the mountains. 
and for Mount Everest. And so since then, I have followed all of the expeditions. I've, I mean, I've probably read every single book and seen every single documentary multiple times because of how much I love Mount Everest. And so when I was looking at my blog, it seemed that the posts that I had that were the most popular had the word Everest in them. And I felt that it was a sign. So my first podcast episodes dropped in January of 2022. And here I am almost two years later, a couple ups and downs and uh, some breaks in between. But that is why I chose Everest as the topic for my podcast. That's how I got started. And I have such a passion for it. Out of my listeners, the reason why you guys stick around is because you're as passionate about it as I am. Either you're in the mountaineering community and you intend to climb it, or you like to hear about it just like me. Question number three, do you ever intend to climb Mount Everest? Well, I am not a mountaineer. However, never say never. I, when I was doing my interview with Cami Rita Sherba, we were kind of joking around. I think this was like in the unrecorded pre-interview or it could have been like right after and it wasn't being recorded. And he's like, you know, you never know. You could still climb it. Never say never. And, you know, never say never. Today, do I intend to climb it? No. Um, but then again, I never intended to try EBC or even Kilimanjaro. And those are two things that I'm actually working on is next year. Hopefully, um, if I have all of the finances, I would really like to do EBC in the springtime. And then in the fall, I would love to do Kilimanjaro. Again, not a climber or a mountaineer, but, you know, Keeley is considered the gateway mountain for a lot of people. So again, Everest, never say never, but I have no intentions at this time to even try for it. Question number four, what is your outdoor experience? I am not a professional outdoorsy person. I know lots of stuff and I do a lot of things. I would not consider myself an expert in any of them, but I do have a lot of experience. I'm really big into backpacking, hiking, camping, and fishing. Those are my four things that I do. I've written my three camping books. And my favorite thing is really is camping because when you go camping, you can do all of the hiking and the backpacking and the off-roading and the fishing. And normally I average over 40 nights a year. This year, I think it was less than 20. We just had so much going on, including our new grandbaby, but that is the full extent of my outdoor experience. Question number five, do you think that trash really is a problem on Mount Everest? And the answer is yes. It's one of those things that could totally be prevented if people would follow the leave no trace principles. But 
when it comes to Mount Everest, it's a little bit harder because it's so high up, you're kind of limited about what you can carry and it's not really regulated. I know that you pay when you're on Mount Everest, you pay fees for taking out trash. Everyone is charged a certain amount of money. Uh, expedition companies are required to bring down a certain, uh, oh, what's weight of trash with them. But here's the thing. So much human excrement is left up there. Um, broken tents, broken gear, things like that. It's not as simple as taking the trash and putting it in your pocket. And if carrying down a broken tent could mean that you might die on the way down because of that extra weight. And there's no really regulation, especially on the Nepali side, um, in bringing down your own trash. So yes, it is a huge problem. Uh, I think that one of the first things that could be done is better education across the board. You know, if it's like a little demonstration at the very beginning of the expeditions when you reach base camp, if they had some type of representative that would come in and remind people, hey, try to keep your trash to a minimum, try to pack it out. I think that would make a huge impact. They're already hiring people to bring down trash. Um, a lot of companies are working with their clientele and their employees on minimizing their waste and trash on Mount Everest. But using wag bags, that could be a requirement and a policy that they could bring about and require people. However, it doesn't matter what policies they put into place. They really need to crack down and enforce them because just because you say, Hey, do this, if you don't enforce it and there's no repercussions, it won't change anything. And the Nepali government, every single year, they come up with different policies and different procedures and they never follow through with enforcing them at all. Question number six, what do you think is the number one cause of death on Mount Everest? Well, that is a loaded question. I have answered it multiple times, but I think that the number one cause of death on Mount Everest, it really comes to, it's not really the cause of death, but the reason of why there are so many deaths on Mount Everest. And I think a lot of it has to do with the expedition companies. Some of them have better quality control than some of the other ones out there. And that doesn't mean that the local ones are better than the Western ones because there's good and bad from both. That's what I've discovered over the last couple of years. But really, most of those deaths could be prevented with a really good expedition company. If it's especially this last year when people were abandoned by the companies that they were climbing with, they were just left behind. And so a lot of those deaths could definitely be prevented. If it's the expedition leaders being picky of who they climb with, 
for instance, and this is because I interviewed Adrian, but he's picky about who he takes on expeditions. It's people who have to have certain types of experience. If it, if it's years of experience, if it's types of mountains, if it's type of mountaineering, um, if it's the guides that he chooses to hire, if it's the certification that his guides have, he really feels that most of those deaths, and I, I agree with him after talking to a lot of expedition leaders and expedition companies, that the majority of deaths could be prevented depending on the quality control of the expedition company that they're hiring to go with them. All right, I have two more questions left. This is just a big grab bag of questions in no particular order. I just took a couple emails and wrote down a bunch of questions. I probably should have gone through these a little bit better and maybe categorized them, if you will. How did you end up in Israel? Well, I was born in Montana. I'm third generation born and living here. And my mom had immigrated to Israel in 1973, just before the Yom Kippur War with her family. Um, after she graduated nursing school, she moved back to the States and she met my dad. After they divorced, she decided to take us back to Israel with her. I had never been before. Uh, so I've was born with dual citizenship. I lived in Israel until I was about 24. So a little over 12 years, I did Israeli military service. And then I decided to come back here, um, in 2007 and reconnected with my husband since, and I've known him since he was a toddler. So that's how I ended up in Israel. And that's how I ended up back in the States. And I've been back in Montana now, for 10 years since 2013. Last but not least, question number eight. Do you think that Westerners discriminate and take advantage of the Sherpa community? Ooh, that's a really good one. And it's a loaded one as well. I have never been to Nepal. I am not a mountaineer and I am not from the Sherpa community. However, as someone looking in, I feel that things could definitely be made better. I know that when it comes to pay, there's a huge discrepancy between what Westerners are paid and what local guides are paid, as well as the high altitude porters. If you look at the Sherpa community, they're the ones essentially that are going up and up and down the mountain numerous times, packing gear, fixing the ropes, helping clients. They have the most dangerous job in the world and yet they are paid very little. I do think that their hourly wages or annual wages should be increased. However, when it comes to their currency and their cost of living, it also needs to be comparable to the cost of living in the Western states. 
do I think that they're taken advantage of? I don't know if they even think that. Looking in, I can see that there are ways that they're looked down upon. I mean, look at 2013 and that whole argument between the three Western climbers and the local rope fixing team. Is there a culture issue there? Yes, obviously. People were, you know, offended. Um, and those who are considered experts, they were totally ignored. Was it because they were Sherpas or, and it's Westerners, you know, in their mentality, it could just be three men who were just, who didn't care who they think they were better than everyone else. I don't know. Again, I wasn't there. I do think that there are some, uh, cultural issues and cultural differences that should be addressed. Anytime that you go to someone's country, you should be aware of where they come from, what their traditions are, and respect that. And it doesn't matter who you are, you should respect everyone where they're at. And so, yes, I I do think that there are some things that could be addressed there. But again, this is just me as an observer and, and what I think. And that is it for today's episode. One thing that I wanted to mention when I was talking about how the expedition companies are the ones responsible, I'm going to give you a really good example. And I keep forgetting to bring this up. And so I figured this would be, before I forget, I might as well talk about it. There's really no regulation, if you will, of the expedition companies on Mount Everest. It doesn't say, hey, you have to be certified this way. You have to have this certification. You have to have this type of equipment. You have to have X number of years of experience. There is a person that I follow on Instagram. I'm not going to say who it is. They don't have, they they have a lot of climbing experience However, they are not a certified guide, and yet they are touting their services as a guide for expeditions up Mount Everest and up K2. If I were a climber, I would definitely not choose this person, and it's because there's no quality control. There's no, how do I know that this person is going to get me up and down if they know how to think fast in a situation that puts me at risk. It's very different being the person in that situation, the climber, but when you're leading it, that's two completely different things. And it's absolutely scary to me that someone would even put themselves in that position and put other people in that position as well when they've never professionally guided any any time before and this person has zero certification the only thing that they have is experience and they have been up and down mountains numerous times they've been up k2 once they've been up everest several times but they are not with any expedition or outfitting company They don't own an expedition or outfitting company. And as far as I know, because I dug into this a little bit, they have no certifications 
like nothing, not even like wilderness first responder or anything like that. That is a very, very scary thought. So if you're one of those people who are looking to climb Mount Everest, do yourself a favor and do your research of the people that you're climbing with, of the people that you have hired to help get you to the top. That is the most important advice that I could give you is do your damn research. All right, everybody, that's it for day for today. I'll see you next week. And as usual, climb your own climb. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the All About Everest podcast. We would love it if you would rate, subscribe, and follow wherever you listen to your podcast. You can find us on social media at All About Everest Podcast or at Mama Bear Outdoors. You can support our podcast by subscribing to our Patreon or by buying us a coffee. Until next time.